support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Chris Kyle Photography Podcast. first thing we always do with the podcast is is to kind of find out a little bit about the framework of how you got into uh, photography let's start off with why you first went towards a camera what was it that made you want to pick up a camera yeah absolutely so uh, when i was in high school i was debating between like you know my career path so i wanted to, i was debating between music or photography which are both uh, really <laughs> stable career choices. Um, <laughs> but, um, so I did a few photography classes in high school and then, but, but I really went towards music hard and I, and then when I left high school, I continued with music, but it really started in high school. Uh, and the, you know, the old school way of, you know, in the, in the developing room and, and doing, right. um, you know, all like the, uh, the, the enlargers and all that's and working with that type of gear, which is, you know, nobody really does that anymore, but, um, that's basically where I got my start. And, and then, it, then I, I, I moved out to Los Angeles when I was around 19 and I was doing music, you know, in bands and stuff like that and playing all over the place. And then honestly, like, like it was about three and a half years ago is when I got back into photography. I, I was working at a hotel as a bellman and I had been I, th- like the theme of my, of my jobs have been all over the place of Uber driver, actor, um, bellman for, <laughs> you know, valet. And I had been in customer service for so long and I was just starting to, you know, I, like lose my mind. It was just day in, day out, same thing. And so I wanted to start um, a media company. And the original idea was for me to do actor audition tapes. So, I started with that, got all the gear, got all the camera. I made no money, right? Um, But uh, then I uh, I ended up working on a song with a friend of mine. It was like a total fluke, but um, and another artist actually heard it randomly, picked it up, and we ended up selling it to a uh, to a K-pop band called uh, BAP, B-A-P. And so I had a little extra cash with me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go buy something that I want. So I went and I bought a, I bought a drone and uh, playing with it, whatever. And then I got into uh, um, doing some, some like filming, some scenic type things. And I got approached by a real estate company to do drone photography of their party. And they, so I did the job, it's like 150 bucks, whatever, just did some photography, had all the gear because I had spent all this money trying this terrible business idea. And <laughs> I then uh, did the job. Then, then I got a call back like two days later, they said, Hey, do you do real estate photography? And I was like, you know, I, in my head, I'm like, no, I've never done it, but, uh, but I just said yes. And so I did some YouTube searches, like how to do real estate photography. And I did a few shoots for a few agents. I got fired because my, uh, my lens wasn't wide enough. And it was, I was like basically taking pictures of walls. It was pretty terrible. Um, I, I begged them for my, (laughs) I begged them for my job back. I instantly went out 
put $900 on a credit card, got the right lens, and I shot my own apartment for them. And I'm like, look, 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 we, you know, I can fix this because I really, you know, I saw an opportunity to, to, to potentially get out of my Bellman job and, you know, make some cash a different way. And yeah, they hired me back after that, after I shot photos of my own apartment and showed them that it was an equipment error. Um, and that's where photography started. And then it turned, I mean, so, I mean, by now, I mean, I've shot over a thousand properties in LA and that's like, not, that's not an exaggeration. I really have. And, uh, but recently I've been getting into portrait photography, uh, with film specifically. And, you know, honestly, like landscape and just things that I see with, with, you know, actual film, 35 millimeter and medium format. And that's basically where I'm at today. Well, let's, let's sort of backtrack a little bit here because I, I've done a little bit of music myself and I'm just curious in, in your sense, what's the difference for you as a, as a creative between photography and music? Which one do you feel flows easier and which one feels more natural? Well, um, I grew up in a very uh, musical family. A lot of our activities weren't really surrounded around uh, around sports. It was more about music and like, playing songs. So that will always be uh, a natural thing for me, but they're, they're both. So they're kind of similar. Cause you're at the end of the day, you know, you're, you're creating a, I mean, if you're writing music, you're creating a product that is, is standalone. Right. So like right. if you're, when you're done with your image, you have something to show for it. when you're done with the song, you have some, some piece to show for it. I guess that, you know, that's how art works. <laughs> but um, I would say music has, that will always be a part of me. Um, photography is something that I'm getting better at. I don't know if it comes because photography can become quite technical at times. Um, but I, I, they're, they're, they're similar and different in both ways. Which one do you feel like is more emotionally gratifying? Like, okay, so you, you write a song that you really enjoy. You take a set of images that you really enjoy. Which one do you feel like you get more gratification out of? Okay. Because, okay. That, Probably because uh, the way that I write music is, uh, I, you know, lyrically, song-wise, I feel that it's, it's a little bit more personal. It's my actual like you're hearing what my biology is producing, the way that my the way that I sound. It, it just it has to be more personal. Music ha- it right. is more personal. Yeah. Um, if it, if I was more of like a technician in music, like say I was, you know, because when I started, I was doing drums that never felt as personal to me as, as writing a song on guitar, singing it, producing it and putting it out to the public. And then let's talk about uh, real estate photography. Um, it's not something yeah. I have the first clue about, but it, you bring up something really interesting. We live in the golden age of say yes and then figure it out before you have to do it. Right. So you oh, get off yeah. a job, you say yes, you get on YouTube, you figure it out. Do you find yourself looking for a style with that or is it literally you're filling briefs and you have to make sure that you're, you're doing the work according to what the company wants or are you able to put a little bit of your own flavor on it? Well, a lot of times because I'm working with either, you know, companies or individual agents, I really, I, I have to accommodate what they want. Um, the company that I work with now, they love their images like very bright like very bright, inviting. And that's coming from a marketing angle. It just, it's more visual. It it draws more people in when they see a bright image. Me personally, I like, I like things that are toned down 
they're a little calmer with the uh, the exposure. Like I'm not afraid of uh, a darker image. I feel like it creates a mood, but just a lot of times, especially when it comes to real estate, like real estate is, I, I don't know. It's very, it can kind of become monotonous after a while because they expect a certain thing and you just have to deliver. I mean, if you want to continue working, um, when it comes to design and architectural photography, I feel that you have a little more of an artistic input. Um, because there's all different types of architectural photographers. Um, there's all types of different types of architectural photography. I mean, if you're going to do something like, like a documentary type thing, you don't really have a lot of, uh, you're not going to be doing sky replacements on a documentary type of architectural shoot. You know, right. they want to see what, you know, what, what it looks like in its setting, you know, without too much flair. Okay. And then you've mentioned about like going towards portraiture um, and given, mm-hmm. like you've just said, there can be sort of a, um, a regimented way of working like with your real estate photography It's kind of one job after the other. You can get into a bit of a flow where it becomes a little bit, I don't want to say monotonous, but I, I'm, I work in photography. I know how it can be. There are jobs that are just jobs and you know, you're not, they're not exactly firing anything inside your brain. Yeah. Is it hard is it hard not to take that into the portrait side of things and just kind of treat it as like a technical exercise? Is it do you find that difficult or are you still still young with it? Uh, well, I'm still a lot younger with portrait photography, but I actually find it's funny. I find myself being very regimented in like in how I'm shooting. I'm actually trying to break away from that. And and that pro- I don't know if that's just a personality trait of mine or if I'm if that's coming from real estate photography where, cause I, sometimes I find myself where I'm in a portrait and I'm focusing on, are the lines straight in the background? You know what I mean? Like, and that's not what you're right. supposed to be focusing on, right? You're supposed to be focusing on the emotion, the interaction between the photographer and whatever your subject is. And, and I have a big pro I, I have a little bit of a hard time directing the model or the, you know, the subject or, and, and, getting them to getting them to to look the way that I want them to look in front of the camera. Um, but they're, they're two, I mean, as you know, they're like, they're totally different animals because like, you're, you're kind of working with emotion in a uh, portrait photography uh, setting. Right. right. I think with portraiture, one of the things that I, I definitely see through sort of through teaching workshops or I see through watching not tutorials, but sort of BTS stuff, it's quite often people pander quite a lot to the subject. And I, I don't know whether this is just down to sort of my personality or where I'm from in the world, but I think sometimes pandering to people and being overly complimentary and sort of being overly um, optimistic with them tends to set up a little bit of a distance. Whereas actually you can you can draw a reaction out of people by kind of throwing it the other way. And I'm not saying like call anyone fat or anything stupid like that. But you can quite literally <laughs> have com- you can have conversations where it's like you find out what their button is, you find out something that annoys them, and you can talk about that, and it's it feels like it's completely distant to the shoot. But if you're doing it during the shoot, you can draw out certain emotions by actually not saying like you never say to someone like, "Can you just look moody?" Like you've got a you've got to kind of take them to that place, you know? Yes, yes, and actually, you know, that is something that I'm working on because. I have totally been like when I was first starting out with portrait photography and I've watched my videos back cause you know, I'll make YouTube videos like behind the scenes, mostly yep. for me just so I can watch. And I, I can't stand myself. 
I'm like, bro, why <laughs> can I calm down, bro? Like, so it's, it's so true. And that's such a good piece of advice, you know, for people listening that so you don't have to be over complimentary. You don't. Yeah. Like I, I wish I would have learned that a lot earlier. Well, the one thing I'd say is like the golden rule for me with, with photography. And I, so I got into photography because we had a really shit wedding photographer who was terrible on the day and the pictures were terrible and we've been left with nothing. And one of the things that he said to me on the wedding day was smile. And my response was why? (laughs) (laughs) And that stayed with me. Like I should never turn around to someone and just be like, smile, you know, like fuck off. Give me a reason to smile. Like let's have a conversation. Yeah. that's positive. Let's have, you know, like there are ways of getting emotion out of people without demanding them. This isn't Russia, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually found you through YouTube, funnily enough, and it was a video you did. I'm almost positive with someone English, and it might just be because they were drinking tea in the video, and I'm just being super racist against the English. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure it was an English model um, that you were photographing. Um, and there was a dog there as well. So I probably got quite distracted by the dog. One thing I did really enjoy about your video was the fact that you took the piss out of the, uh, I think it was either Logan Paul or the other one. I don't know which one's which, but you had a good little joke about them. Oh yes. Okay. I know that was, I was shooting my friend, her name's, uh, Jordan. She is, uh, she's from Australia. She was, but the Uh, tea, the tea probably made it confusing, you know? And it it was so funny is that when I like, (laughs) when I first met her, um, I was like, Oh, are you from, are you from the UK? And she's like, no, I'm from Australia. I'm like, Oh, I should have known. It's like, I'm such an idiot, but well, there you go. I've just made the mistake. So you, you, you know, I'm, I'm now looking like a complete, okay, I, get, I get a free for pass. Not figuring that I, get, out. I get a free pass. Okay. So let's talk about YouTube. What, yeah. what, you said you put YouTube videos up sort of for yourself, for self-reference. What's the process yes. like? Do you shoot differently when there's a, a camera filming the BTS compared to when you're shooting normally? Yeah, I'm com- like, I'm, totally neurotic and I'm like, I'm always analyzing myself and like trying to see what I can do better. And just even on a presentation level, you know, like before this podcast, I was like freaking out too, just because I'm going to have to talk about stuff. But, and so (laughs) it's kind of like, yes, it's content. Like there's, there's a few elements, right? Like one, I want to make sure that when I'm shooting that I'm, you know, when there's a camera there, there's a little bit more pressure. So I want to make sure that I'm comfortable, uh, you know, with, with a camera there also that, you know, I'm comfortable with my model. And so I usually like to load on more things that would make me uncomfortable and then fight through it. And then you inevitably have to get better. Right. I'm assuming, but right. Right. Yeah. 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 And the other, the other side of that is just, you know, nowadays everybody's a photographer like literally everybody so i need to do something that is i need to you know get my name out there somehow so like i was just thinking make videos about what i do show a little bit of my personality and maybe this will turn into even more work i mean it led to this podcast which was like actually really awesome so it did something yeah i mean the the, the i mean one thing you do say that's perfectly true there is that everybody's a photographer and i think that like you can say that with even more cynicism and it becomes more true in the sense that not only is everybody taking photos but everybody that's taking photos considers themselves to be a photographer and i think there's a big difference between someone like you know my mum taking out her phone and taking a blurry picture of her dog um because she doesn't know how to clean the camera on the back of it or anything like that yeah. and then <laughs> you know people that have gone out they buy they buy a $300 camera from 
from I, I guess over there it'd be like Best Buy or whatever and then that's it they're a photographer they're qualified because they bought the camera that's it in the same way that like if you buy a fast car you must be a good driver and there's plenty of people that drive Ferraris that tend to clip the curbs and fuck their cars up in various ways I think photography has the same the same problem it's it's so funny do you find that um a lot of people associate their gear with their skill right oh like, yeah oh yeah yeah, like I, I, you know, I see that a lot too. That's actually kind of why I went backwards in in my photography. I mean, it it's unfortunate that shooting film has become kind of niche or kind of like a cliche in a way, especially on YouTube. Like, you, you, there's a bunch of channels that do film photography on YouTube, but um, it's it's, it's that's actually like a, like a reason why because I. Like, I guess uh, what I'm trying to explain is the uh, you know Jack White White Stripes guy from the White Stripes. Yep. Well, he had this, I was watching an interview with him and he was talking about how he went out of his way to make his process uh, more difficult. Like he would play a guitar on stage that like really couldn't stay in tune that well, or he would put his, he put the piano like a foot further away from where he could make it for the next part of the song. Right. Right. So, and, and he said by doing that, by, by making things more difficult for himself, he became better. And also the creativity uh, was, it was like, it almost was just there because he was having a hard time with it. Like he couldn't get a perfect tone out of his guitar. So it made that very unique sound. And sometimes I feel like, you know, putting yourself in a box sometimes amplifies your creativity. And I find that a lot with, you know, limited exposures, shooting film, um, uh, you know, developing it yourself. Like you never know what, you know, you're going to get in it. And then when you get it, you get what you get and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think like now cameras are built for convenience and it's yeah. not about making like cameras aren't getting better. They're just getting better for stupid people. Like it's easier and easier to take a picture <laughs> without <laughs> any skill or any technical knowledge because the camera's now a spaceship. I, I shoot yeah. Sony's unfortunately. And it's basically like, I don't need to be there, which is quite unfortunate. But I think like the reason that musicians and photographers and so many other sort of creative areas, they go back to technology from the 40s, 50s and 60s is because there's a real human element in the design of it and in the manufacturing mm -hmm. of it, which means like, um, so I used to love playing old amps because old amps, like you almost don't ever want to change anything on them. If the tubes go on an old amp, you don't want to change the tubes because yeah. You know, like it's that's the tone of the amp and it's almost like the sound of it dying sounds better than anything modern because everything modern all sounds the same. And I think that yeah. it's the personality of the of the item that makes you bond with it. And then having to fight it is what what you enjoy. I really miss shooting Canon DSLRs because I used to have to fight them so much to get exactly what I wanted from it. And now I've got a camera where, to be honest with you, if I sent it to a wedding in a taxi, it would probably come back with the same stuff that I get when I'm there. So it's the convenience <laughs> that bothers me. And I think you're right. It does. It, the, the challenge makes you better. Yeah, it makes you better. And I think it makes you, uh, well, I don't know if it makes you more unique, but it does. It makes you feel like you're actually doing something because you know, every, everything's becoming automated and it's kind of, it's, uh, you, you don't like, I always like, I'll give you an example here. Like in, so I have these, these action lists in, in Photoshop. Actually, I use this, uh, this program called TK actions and they, and it's, uh, it, it's like a complicated layer masking system. And it like, it basically allows you to select it. It makes selecting uh, light and color within the mask like very easy, right? But right. 
I remember like going through it and like try and deconstructing all of the actions because in my head, I always think everything's about to end like all the time. Like I'm like, this is going good for now, but what if like I never get the internet back and I forget how to use all my programs because I've learned everything on YouTube. So like I obsessively go back (laughs) and, and deconstruct how everything is working. And, uh, you know, I'm not particularly like it, like, crazy intelligence. So it takes me a little bit longer. Right. So, um, I guess maybe that's like another reason why I try to make things more difficult for myself. I feel like I don't want to get so lazy because of the, the, uh, automation, you know, the automatic nature of everything. I don't want to forget. Well, to go back to something you were talking about earlier, one thing I really respected about your YouTube channel and something that I find quite frustrating about others is that you have a lot of transparency and it feels raw. It just feels like you're doing a shoot and there's a camera there and you know you reference the fact that the camera's there you don't act i don't feel i don't feel like anything there is being done in a way that like um wouldn't be the same if the camera wasn't there in the sense that i don't think you're a different person i don't think you would take different photos i just think it's it's just an additional challenge for you having having to sort of keep up appearances while you're doing it totally do you feel like transparency is missing in photography at the moment because everyone's trying to look like they're the best at everything right yeah, I think um that's a that's a that's a tough uh question to answer because I mean, yes, of course. I mean, look at look at like, you know, like Instagram culture, right? I mean, transparency is is everyone wants to to seem like something they're not or seem better than they are not. And I don't right. even know if I if I've ever even thought about that. I mean, I think that there is more like whenever you exp- like expose yourself in, in a creative way, like in a creative way. Okay. Um, it, it's, uh, it's like revealing and, and if you, and it's just, it's always going to be more interesting. It's, I'm telling you, it's like, if you're trying, people can usually read when you're trying to be something that you're not pretty easily. Yeah. Right. And if you can just kind of give into that, I think the only person that you're helping is yourself. If you can just be okay with being transparent and being, you know, like, if you've seen some of my other videos, like, I mean, I'm making mistakes. I'm like, you know, it's, it's clear that I'm new at portrait photography. Right? right. So it's, to me, it gives you a little bit more of a thumbprint. I think it's, I think being as genuine as possible and as transparent as possible is always the best route to take. Well, I think perfection starts to lose its edge when everyone's perfect. And I, you know, there's yeah. a really good, a really good way that I, I see this. And I have this conversation with a, a model friend of mine quite regularly. And it's this, this current movement with, with young women that everybody's a queen, right? Everyone's a queen. We're all yeah. queens. And I always say, if you're all queens, no one's a fucking queen. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yep. Absolutely. And and just to have that that personality and that rawness is actually going to make you stand out a bit more. Let's stick with portraits for a second. Okay. Now you you may be new to it, but that really doesn't matter. And and I, I one thing I get quite frustrated with with photographers is they feel like when they're new to something, they're not entitled to preference or they're not entitled to opinion on it. And and you absolutely are. Um, in the sense of portraiture for yourself, what what is the keys to a good portrait? What's a portrait that stands out to you when you're on Instagram or you're, you're wherever you are that looking for inspiration? What makes you stop in your tracks and really check out a portrait? When I feel, you know, and this could be subjective, but when I feel that an image is honest, I feel that that is something that, that stands out to me. Like I, 
I'm completely bored of the half naked women photos. I'm just completely bored of it. It's like the cheat code to Instagram to getting followers. Like, and it seems that that is you know, like, it's funny because I find myself going back and being more interested in more conservative style photography now, just because now it's like hard to find that because they're not maybe like really, if, if somebody has, successfully captured somebody's emotion and I'm buying it. Maybe, maybe they're, maybe it's not real, but if I'm buying it, that's what would stand out to me. Right. I guess in the same way of like a great actor in a movie, you know, there's, there's, there's mm-hmm. movies that can completely tear you apart emotionally and you can, you can empathize or you can, you can hate someone that is just not a real person. That's an actor. And it's that, that portrayal is the same thing in a portrait. Exactly. Yeah. You, you buying in is them doing their job, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. I was just thinking like, I am attracted to certain styles. Like this is just me, like, I guess getting away from just like the look of the image. I have a definite preference when it comes to the, like what type of colors are being um, portrayed. And lately I've been obsessed with like with the, the Portra 400 low contrast pastel type of type of look and vibe. I've just been, I've thought that that's very beautiful. And also the, uh, there's a, there's a photographer. His, na- his name is, um, I, I hope I'm saying this correctly. It's Neve Bazorgi. I hope I'm saying that right, but he's, he's one, I love his work and he works a lot with, um, his images tend to be very mysterious and dark and he's not afraid to, uh, have most, mostly shadow in his work. I think that's another interesting thing about, um, uh, yeah, not to repeat myself, but his work. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I think like one thing that I struggled with massively when I first started, I remember I went like sort of two years not wanting to go in a studio and it wasn't because of not, not wanting to like be out of my element and have to learn something, but it was just, I didn't like any studio work because at the time all the studio work that I was being, I, I, the best way I can put it is confronted with was like you're saying, like half naked women, incredibly flat, boring pictures, everything's lit. Um, over here, I would call it as the photography. I think over there, you'd probably call it Walmart photography where it's just, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it, it's like, it's like that'll do photography. Like there's some, there's some, tits and and there's a woman there you go click like fuck you that's as much as energy as yeah. i'm gonna put into it and like it took me a long time to find the photographers that were producing work that i felt like resonated with me in terms mm-hmm. of um like subjects because obviously you've got you've got some you have got some absolutely wonderful portraiture what are you looking for in subjects oh, like what, what's a great subject to you a great subject is when when I look at the photograph and I don't, maybe you can maybe you know what I'm talking about. There are some photographs that I take that it it remind it, it looks like a memory to me. It, it feels like I don't know. There's something just majestic about. It's so hard for me to pinpoint because you know I I am a little I am new to it, so I'm just basically running off pure emotion when I look at something. But if it is something that makes me feel like, like, it, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to describe. Like, I guess that's the only way I can just, it feels like a memory, even if like it, whether it's me that took it or somebody else, like it feels. Is that down to the emotional connection you're saying? Like, it feels like yeah, you, there's I guess, an emotional connection to the person that's going to view the photo. Yeah. Like it looks, I look, you know, it looks candid. It looks, um, 
yeah, I guess that's it. I mean, last year I joined um, a camera club as a bit of a social experiment. And one thing that I definitely noticed was that there was no understanding of feel of like how something feels, mm. how something resonates with you, what something makes you think or how it pushes you around. There's no, there's no sort of provocation. There's no emotion to the way that they judge things. It's just like, well, this line should be straight. Like you said earlier, or, you know, I wouldn't have put her on that third. I'd have done this. And I mean, with the exception of one guy that accused me of being gay for about six minutes straight while he talked about one of my <laughs> portraits of a guy, like nothing felt like it was anything other than a, an exercise and just reading photography for dummies out. What is it about portraits that you actually enjoy? Like that, because they're hard work. And you've already said that like, you know, you've got this, you've got this pretty decent little um, game going where you're photographing real estate. What is it about photographing people that's dragged you in that direction? Yeah, it's, I think it goes back to the, to the fact I just never thought I was that good at it. I guess it was like the, you know, pulling emotion out of people has been, a, it, it's challenging. I don't think it's, I don't know if that's easy for, for a lot of people, but I, I, I'm usually attracted to things that I'm not good at. And, and that, and, and honestly too, is I think that, you know, coming at, you know, becoming a photographer and, and, and trying to create work that's interesting is a lot of people find faces interesting. I mean, including me, I think that it's that kind of that never ending pursuit of grabbing an image that is, that is honest, um, technically proficient too. I mean, I, I do think about technicalities. Like I do, like I want my images, anything that I do, I want there to be intent. Like if it's blurry, I want to, I don't want to be like, I don't want to accidentally take a blurry image and be like, Oh yeah, that's artistic. Like I want to, I want there to be intent. Like if it's, if, if I'm going to take a blurry image, I'm going to say, I'm going to take a blurry image and then this is going to be the emotion behind it. Right. So, right. I guess it's just because it was challenging to me. I mean, that's really what's drawn me to the idea of portrait photography. And with the fact that you're photographing people on film, um, I'm assuming that there's not a tremendous amount of retouch involved. And um, what's your process in terms of like developing and scanning? Yeah. So when I, uh, like I develop all my film in, um, in my kitchen, I got like the little can, you know, and like I do the whole, the temperature reading and all that stuff. It's color film. I also don't know why people think color film is so intimidating. Like I've never, I mean, in fact, I've been more intimidated to develop black and white film than color. Uh, so I, I do in the kitchen. I, 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 uh, obviously I have the bag, you know, I take the, take the film out, roll it up on the wheel, put it in the can, do all the chemicals, let it dry in my, sh in my shower, just hang it out with some clips. And, uh, I've got a, I've got an Epson V550 that I do all my own scans with. And then I use this really great program in Lightroom called Negative Lab Pro. And right. that, it's like, cause I actually went through the whole process of, of, you know, reversing the negatives in Photoshop. And the problem with doing that manually is just, there was no consistency because, you know, every film has its own color characteristics. And that's something that's kind of, that's something I like about film. And I was never able to, uh, get, get consistent photos by doing it manually. So this negative lab pro, um, program, it's a hundred bucks. It's like, it's the best thing that has happened for my film work because it's just one button. You can tweak things here and there, like highlights and contrast, but, but it maintains the, uh, the integrity of your image, like with, you know, the characteristics of that film. I, and, and then of course, you know, I, I do, uh, edit out little dust particles and like, 
you know, blemish, you know, blemishes and things like that. But the reason I, I shoot the film is for the color and for, uh, for the spontaneity of it. You know, I, I like the idea that I, I don't have all the control in the world like you do with digital. Right. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds pretty good. I mean, one of the things I I've kind of, since lockdown, I've, I've started shooting film and I've, I've started developing. I definitely fall into the camp of people that are intimidated by color. Um, so we'll probably have to go back to that at some point, but, um, one of the things that I'm really glad to be moving away from by shooting film is just moving away from what I would call retouch ethics, which is like this constantly moving set of standards of what retouching should be in terms of ethical, you know, moral ground and what it should be uh, in terms yeah. of what's accepted by the photographic community as good retouching. Um, because it feels mm-hmm. like the two, the two things never quite line up. Um, I'm not a particularly big fan of the way Digital, or no, I'd say that's probably the understatement of the century. I can't stand the way that digital retouching <laughs> is going in terms of what Instagram's done to it, where I'm seeing grass that's bright orange and I'm seeing, you know, skin that's somewhere between magenta and Chernobyl. And yeah. just, <laughs> there doesn't seem to be any subtlety to it. And to, to go with film tends to sort of obfuscate a lot of the problems of trying to constantly appease all of these stupid standards. Are you, are you not shooting any portraits on digital at all? No, actually. Well, now um, I'm shooting more. I, I'm shooting more digital because I've actually had a hard time getting the chemicals that I've needed to develop my own film. Um, right. I've been I've been doing I've been doing both. I had a portrait session. I was trying to make this YouTube video. God, probably like six months ago, and. I mean, it was just a complete disaster. It's like I forgot everything how to shoot on this camera. It's like it was totally embarrassing. <laughs> so I ended up just re- resorting to shooting digital because I felt so bad. I mean, luckily the guy was my friend. I was shooting my friend, and he was like, he was like totally cool about it. I'm like, he came over, brought you know wardrobe and stuff, and I had everything set up, and I was just a complete mess that night. Like I was trying, and so um, right now I've been shooting more digital, and that's simply because. Um, literally because the chemical issue like um uh but i guess i even on amazon it's been like hard to find these chemicals but um well probably people think that it's secure for corona and they've been injecting it directly yeah, to been- see if it will help them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what are you yeah. um what are you using for your digital stuff what camera oh uh uh for digital yeah uh, for digital, I've got the Canon 5D Mark IV. I use all uh, Godox products just because of price and quality. Like, Godox is 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 great. I mean, yeah, they've really come up with um, a solution at a really affordable price point. Because I mean, if you go with like Pro Photo, I mean, it's like you know twenty five hundred dollars for one light. I mean, just. I'll just roll over and die at that point. I, th- I feel like Profoto are doing all of the advertising for Godox in, in the sense that like all you have to do is see the price of Profoto and you're like, cool, Godox, that'll do. Like yeah, it's just yeah. so ridiculous the discrepancy between the two. And you know, and for film, I've got um I made a whole video about um uh, my my I got I, I bought a, a Nikon F2. This is for my 35 millimeter. So I bought a Nikon F2 uh off of Oh, actually, I found it at a pawn shop, and he's like, "It's in great condition, great condition." And it's my like, cool, like I, I love this camera. It's pretty. I mean, it's heavy. There's never. It's all mechanical, so there's not a lot to worry about. And uh, there's a guy in. I actually, I believe he's in the UK. Yeah, he's in. The, his name is Sover Wong, and he's a Nikon F2 
uh, specialist. He refurbishes these cameras. And uh, so I sent that in to him and it was, it was a year wait. It was a year wait for him to repair the camera and it took about, I think, four weeks uh, for him to repair it. But he, he takes the whole thing apart. He sends you pictures along the way. It's unbelievable what he does. I mean, the camera is now basically brand new up to spec and it's, you know, it's a camera from the seventies. Uh, so that's my, right now that's my favorite 35 millimeter film cameras that Nikon F2. And then, uh, for my medium format, I'm using the Mamiya RB67 SD. And that's my all that produces my all time favorite images. Like nothing beats that to me. It's just heavy and, you know, hard to bring around everywhere. <laughs> what, what, what is so, it about the images that you love so much? The, I, I don't, it's when, First of all, I mean, like the red, you know, you obviously on the medium format, you get a bigger negative. So there's just automatically going to be more resolution, but there's something about the way that it, the, the images are just so clear and they, they just produce exactly what I want. And 35 millimeter are great. It's great. Like I, I love 35 millimeter, but it's just something about the medium format. The image that it produces is so clean and it's, uh, Cool thing about the uh, the Mamiya is that you can it's it's a um, oh my god I'm not thinking of this. what's the the term where it's like you're physically moving the lens like away it's oh the bellows you can take okay. images you can tr- you can take images like almost macro with that and it right. and it's not a problem for it and it's it's really cool I mean it's the size of a car but isn't it strange though that the whole digital community is kind of like full frame is the absolute pinnacle and then you've got crop and then you've got like micro four thirds and all of that stuff. And it's going the complete opposite way. Whereas like full frame in terms of a 35 millimeter on film, people are like, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, there yeah, is a format. Yeah, people are never satisfied no matter what. <laughs> it's, it's just one of those things I find so funny about photographers. It's always like, there's always just some, there's always a bigger fish. Yeah, of course. Of course. I think that, you know, with anything, honestly. Um, in terms of yourself and and the way that you mm-hmm. are as a person, are you someone that has like goals in terms of like, I don't know, I don't want to say like a five-year plan and make it sound like we're out on a speed date, but are you someone that has <laughs> like goals that you're trying to achieve over a long period of time? Or are you just kind of, I mean, I guess at the moment, everyone's just trying to survive, but are you someone that's trying to just go job to job? I mean, that sounds I, I, right now, mentally where I'm at right now, is yes, I'm literally going job to job. And this has been my life. You know, I mean, seriously, I've been, I've done almost everything. I've like pursued music, done, done acting now. And I feel like I'm just always like switching. It's like, a, I don't know. I don't think, I I mean, I don't even like it that much. I do this, but it's right. I would say my goals are, it's, it's figuring out, I've gotten so heavily into the, to the architectural design and real estate photography that Right now, my I would say I'll give you like my two year goal, and it's really to get to the point um, where I'm doing high end luxury uh, real estate uh, or architectural photo shoots. That uh, I mean, uh, my goal is to our monetary as well. Like you know, I want to. I'm trying to slowly but surely increase my rate and also my skill set to provide people with just uh, impeccable images that. Um, that you can't recreate uh, unless you really know what you're doing. So that's really, that's really my goal. I mean, I, that's like a two year plan. That's, that's pretty good. That's more than I've got. I've got about a three and a half day plan at the moment. That's it, you know, <laughs> just don't die of COVID in the next three and a half days. And I've met my goal. 
Yeah, <laughs> perfect. That's good. In terms of, I mean, you brought up earlier that the film photography has kind of taken off, especially with YouTube. What What do you sort of think the reason is for film photography becoming so prevalent? I don't know. I think it's, you know, I, I honestly feel that YouTube has such a strong hand in in making film photography uh, have its resurgence. I think a lot of like the marketing, like, you know, I've heard some people on your podcast talk about George Muncie and he's actually, you know, negative, you know, about negative feedback and George Muncie, do you know about him? Yeah. 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 I I think, I don't know. That's, that's really where I first got into film, uh, kind of falling. And it's, I was, you know, I was totally drawn in by, I just, the whole idea of just, I, they make it cool. Like they, 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 like they have cool, like I do it too in my YouTube videos. You know, I'll have like, you know, lo-fi music in the background. And like, you know, you, you take the picture and then like, it's, it's like you put like the click sound in and then you have the image show up. And <laughs> I don't know, it's, it's, they're, they're really just lifestyle videos that I just have on in the background all the time. Right. I, I think that YouTube and some of these guys have just made it cool. It's kind of, it's kind of like, it's, it's a little bit hipster, but if you really know what you're doing, then I think it kind of turns into something else. I mean, I think it's just I become think it's cool hipster again. until it's hipster until you've got a portfolio, right? Once you've got, yeah, exactly. If you're just doing it and it's like the process of being seen shooting film and the process of talking about film, that's hipster. But if you're yeah. producing something on a regular basis, that that takes it to an actual real kind of pursuit as opposed as opposed to just kind of a lifestyle, the way you put it. And it's kind of frustrating because I would like, I would love to shoot film on an actual job. I'm not talking about architectural shoots. Like I'm, t- uh, I'm talking about, you know, portrait shoots, but a lot of times, like if I were to say, I mean, if I were to get hired for an editorial thing tomorrow, I'm not going to bring my film camera. I'm going to bring my digital and my lights and everything just because of the demands of what usually the client is expecting. Unless, unless you've built your name and your portfolio as a film specific photographer and you, and this is your look and this is your, this is your thumbprint on, on it. That's when you can really start shooting with film. But right now, I mean, I don't have, I don't have that thumbprint yet. So I'm basically bending to what, you know, a client wants. And I, and I actually have more confidence in it. With with a, with a high end gig like that, you need multiple takes. You can't be guessing, especially when it comes to lighting and it comes to you know reflectors and all this other stuff. You need to be able to see uh, what you're producing in camera. We've talked about YouTube pretty extensively. Um, one thing I'm starting to get the the sense of, um, and maybe not necessarily the the people that you've mentioned so far, although I do think there are some people in the film community on YouTube that definitely do this. Do you feel like photography on YouTube takes itself a little bit too seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I like there. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think I've, I've done it too. I've tried to take myself seriously. I just look like a fool when I take myself seriously. I mean, it's, I don't know. I don't know why that happens. I mean, I, I mean, maybe you can answer that for me. Uh, well, I could answer it, but I don't know if I could answer it for you. I, I, like, in my opinion, I feel like people don't spend enough time around people that that will give them honest feedback. So people are very good, especially, I think we're getting better and better at it, is, is just surrounding ourselves with people that validate us and our experience. And, you know, there's a word I personally think should be banned from the dictionary, which is the word haters. 
um, which sounds yeah. even worse. And if you could say it just quickly, could you just say haters for me? Haters. <laughs> See, it's, it sounds so much better in an American accent. In an English accent, it sounds like I'm the stuffy old man that's bringing something up that he no, doesn't understand. I, I, I completely disagree with that statement. I think that you could say anything and sound like you know what you're talking about. That's how I, that's oh, how no. I view it. Oh, no. no. I've not got one of the good English accents. This is why I love America so much. I come over and people think I'm intelligent. It's, it's wonderful. Over here, everyone realizes I'm the thick piece of shit that I am. So, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, one thing I think with with the with the photography community in general, and maybe not just YouTube, but you know, we've got this this Instagram culture where everybody's got to seem like they know what they're doing, and they're they're always succeeding, and all they do is win. And then you've got the inability to fail in the sense that, like, you know, it's pretty easy now. Like things are pretty easy. It's it doesn't take much to yeah. learn photography at all. It's pretty straightforward. It doesn't cost you any money. We've basically bypassed all formal education by having YouTube and having online tutorials. And it's just kind of got to that point where, you know, it's easy. Stop acting like you've climbed Everest when all you've actually done is taken a picture of a girl or or taken a picture <laughs> of a, I don't know, a landscape or whatever. Like you haven't you haven't done open heart surgery. You've taken a picture on a camera that honestly, if you left it on its own, it would probably start figuring out how to take pictures by itself. I see this with just art in general. Like I, I sometimes, I mean, I've been to, you know, I went to the Broad um, probably about a year ago and there's a full display of just canvas with, uh, with just a solid color painted on it. And I'm, and I'm <laughs> sitting and I'm just like, that's a canvas with blue. And I'm sitting here and, and then of course there's like a, an entire monologue next to it, what it really means. And I think that a lot of people create something that looks kind of cool and they're like, okay, how can we add value to this by giving it a purpose? Right. 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 Yeah. I think that happens in every, in every art form. Photography oh, too. There was one of my favorite ones was, so I'm, I'm, I used to do a lot of lyric writing and um, I'm very fascinated by by sort of the way that people use words. I'm constantly fascinated just in, in speech, the way that people use words. And there was a radio interview over here with a singer who I think you might have heard of, but I'm not sure, a singer called Rita Ora. And she was promoting her new single. She's a, she's a British singer. She was in like the Fast and Furious movies, one of them, I think. She's kind of like kind of just a fringe nobody, but she's somehow stayed famous. Okay. And, and she's talking about her new single and she's saying, I can't remember the exact context because I genuinely, no one on earth cares at all about this song, but uh, the interview I found interesting. And basically she was saying that the song was about her wanting to be with someone, but they can't be together. And when you actually listen to the song, there's no like hidden meaning to the song at all. The whole song is about the person wanting to be with her but she doesn't want yeah. to be with them. And it's like, you don't even, you didn't even listen to your own fucking song. Like, could you have just got like someone to brief you on what you sang? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like she's it's, on there giving this like heartfelt explanation of a song that she's not even read the lyrics that she sung. Oh my God. You know, it's funny. Cause like, if you go, you know, obviously everybody knows Nirvana and and yeah. he's he in interviews he would always be like look like i'm just singing crazy shit like like and you guys are applying like i, I that's you know i loved kurt's honesty when it came to his music he like people had theories on on what he was really trying to say and maybe <laughs> and the, and he would and and he never gave him an answer and he would just and i mean 
I, I just love that. And he was like almost the opposite of, of what that is today kind of thing. Yeah. I think every, nowadays everyone, everyone just tells you everything about their life. They fill in every blank. Whereas someone like him kind of being aloof and not filling in the blanks means that people suddenly find all of these hidden meanings and he becomes, I mean, with him, I guess it was never really the the goal, but it's kind of ironic that him not trying to fill in the blanks kind of created more of a buzz. Yeah. I, I think that we could probably take a lesson from that today. I think, yeah, at, you know, uh, I think it makes it, it might even benefit you, you know, benefit an artist in a way to not give away everything they're thinking and not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's do some, yeah. let's do some broad questions. I want to put you on the spot and try and catch okay. you a little bit. Oh, cold. God. Okay. You might do it. So <laughs> here we go. <laughs> uh, what do you admire more with a photographer, their technical prowess or their ability to kind of convey emotion? Convey emotion, absolutely. Anyone can learn technicality. I I learned technicality, and that's not saying much. So definitely <laughs> to convey an emotion. <laughs> Does a photographer have to know how to shoot film to be considered a real photographer? Uh, no. I think they should, just because it's a different. It kind of changes. It, it'll teach you more, but no, I don't think so. Is video the next step for every photographer? Should every photographer be learning video? Uh, mm, no, I, I don't. I don't. I think they're two different mediums. I feel that uh, it's okay for them to stay separate. There's different challenges with each. You know, it's it's strange. I've had people say that literally, video is the next. Like, if you are a photographer at the moment, you're on the verge of being extinct because video is taking over. And I I just find that a really fascinating way of looking at it because I just see them as being completely different things. That's exactly. Yeah. That's 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 exactly how I feel. Yeah. They are. I mean, like imagine, I mean, you can tell a story on video by, you know, there's a lot more, there's so much more information, but there is something, if you can tell a story in a single image, it's not moving. That's pretty impressive to me. Is something about um, photography. Okay. So I got to really think of a way to frame this because I don't want it to be too genre specific, but do you feel like narratives or learning how to convey narrative is a really important part of photography? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. Because obviously you work in, in architecture where there's, or in, in real estate where there's, there's not going to be a narrative other than the implied sales narrative. Whereas with portraiture, I feel like, especially with yours, there's a pretty decent line of narrative in there. Just wondered if it was something that you're doing on purpose or is it just something that's coming out naturally? You know, it's funny. Like, yeah, I think there is, there are, are narratives in architectural photography. And I think that a lot of times it's displayed with the, like a lot of times you can create the narrative around how the structure is, is uh, uh, reacting to the light and how, cause you can still create emotion in an image with no people. Like if uh, one of my favorite um, uh, architectural photography uh, photographers is uh, Mike Kelly. And I mean, he's new and he, and that's the other thing too, is I don't know. I don't know. It's like so much history. I'm sure there's somebody that might be upset that I'm not like saying somebody from the 1930s, but this is just who I'm looking at right now. (laughs) And, and I like, that's just because, you know, whatever, but, um, you know, uh, he, he does a great job of creating emotion in his work 
and it's just it's just a space you know um yeah it's a lot it's a lot easier to to pick that out with a portrait because we're all human and we understand you know emotion and micro expressions within somebody's face but um I think it's all important. You know, I think it's, I think that should kind of be like a, a foundation, at least one of them that you have when it comes to taking a, f- a photo. Well, I would definitely say for people that f- like, uh, people often think that expression is needed to convey an emotion. I would absolutely suggest that people watch the movie um, Ghost Story with Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck because Casey Affleck spends about 80 minutes of that movie with a sheet over his head where you see no facial expression, there's no vocalization, there's no narration of what he's doing. It's entirely conveyed by framing and the composition of the shot and his movement, but without expression. And it does more emotionally than most movies can do with the expression being incredibly prominent. Oh, no, I, I guess, yeah, no, I totally... I, I, yeah, I mean, I totally uh, agree with that. And I think that would probably, you know, harken back to, I guess what I was saying about like composition within architectural photography and creating emotion like that with when it comes to the, like, like you said, the composition can create emotion as well. And th- yeah, it's a really good point. Um, it's a bit of a, bit of a long one here. I do apologize. I'm not, not trying to keep you too long. No, 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 no. This is great. But I do have a, I do have a question. I think like, I feel like me and you are on a very similar page on a lot of things. What do you think happens to photography if Instagram disappeared overnight? Uh, I think that a, okay, well, what happens to photography, not what happens to attention? Because attention, you know, no vacuum is ever just left a vacuum, right? So there will always be something for people to um, portray their their work but in specific response to your question i think that you will find the true photographers will continue taking photos and continue producing work and continue releasing in other ways and other mediums and i feel that uh you know photography (sighs) hmm I guess I'm, I guess I'm answering more with like, well, what with, what will happen with photographers, but what will happen with photography? I mean, I hope it's always valued. Uh, is that kind of the question? Like, are are you wondering like, like, will it still be appreciated the same way or? Well, I, you know, it's, it's, I like a broad question. I like a question to kind of see where you want to take it as opposed to guide you too much. But one, one thing with this is that I think a lot of people are into photography because of, Instagram because of that culture. Yeah. I feel like there would be quite an exodus of people. If there wasn't an immediate replacement for that vacuum, as you put it, I I feel like there's a lot of people that would just walk away and find something else that would, yeah, they would just drop that that attention. Yeah. 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 I completely, that's, you said it much more eloquently than I did, but that was basically what I was trying to get across. I feel like, like, like there would be a lot of people that would drop off. I I just, you know, there's, you know, I, I, I mean, Everybody does. I mean, people like attention, but that is, it's become such a, such a thing, you know, now, like, you know, depend like basing the value of your work on how many likes it has, or this is, I mean, everybody knows this and everybody kind of says the same thing, but it's, it's, it's true. It's like, we put a little bit, we put a little bit too much value on, on, uh, likes. <laughs> no, hundred percent. I've, I've, I've been saying for the longest time that I feel like it's where we've seen religion recede 
in popular culture and and you know being atheist or agnostic is becoming more and more common and this isn't me going on on a, on a preach about how people should be religious i'm not religious but it's a cultural observation that i feel like as people become less and less religious they put those same standards into other parts of their life it feels like it's something they seem to need to fill and they're you know all, you look yeah, at the language all. of if you look at the language of social media you know followers and you know, the, the metric of counting how many people appreciate you is very bizarre. It's a very bizarre thing to chase. Do you think it is something that naturally occurred or is it, is it a sinister plot? <laughs> Does that mean, like, Oh, good Lord. That's a really big question. Yeah. Yeah. You've kind of caught me out. Um, I would say, sorry. No, no, I, I would say that in terms of like Instagram and in terms of Facebook and the, the language that they're using is very intentional. I would say people's gravity towards it and people's, I don't know, people's desire for it is, it almost feels infantile. You know, it feels like when you get the mm -hmm. kid that you get, you know, you get that dick kid at school that's like, he does something that makes the whole class laugh or makes the teacher happy and he just rinses and repeats it over and over again until you're sick of it. <laughs> Yeah. It kind of feels like there are people like that where they kind of, they do a thing and they realize like I've, I've had photographers on the podcast and, and people, and I've never had someone on the podcast whose work I don't like as a rule. I won't have someone on if I don't genuinely appreciate the work that they do. Nice. And I'm in the club. Said, You're in the club, my friend. I'll send you your t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> some, some, some twat from England likes my work t-shirt. No, no, I've had people say like, oh, I did this kind of work and then that wasn't really getting me much attention. And I tried this other thing out and that got me attention. So I went down that route. And I just think that's what pushed you. That's what led you, you know, like it, yeah. it obviously worked because I liked the work that you're producing, but you know, are you satisfied? Because mm -hmm. you're doing something entirely for feedback and Maybe it's just me being incredibly naive, but I don't feel like I could do that. No, you're probably just honest. That's probably, <laughs> it's not a bad thing. You know, I, it's, it, it's funny. Sometimes, I mean, I'm guilty of this as well, is I will see an image that, that is what I think is just maybe mediocre or whatever. And if, if you then see a name that's attached to it that's had other work. Like, I, I don't know how much of this, like how much of the, the value in the art world is like, is like premeditated by like, for example, if you're going to go out, you're going to see a, a picture of a painting and it's like a terrible painting, but somebody bought it for a million dollars or whatever right. million pounds for you. Right. Like, <laughs> and it's like, it's, it's our, our is it now worth a mil? Like what is making it? Is it just because someone purchased it for that amount or is it because it's actually like, I don't like, I don't know. I don't, I, don't. I think the worst thing with art is when you feel like you're stood on the outside and you're not getting why someone would pay a million dollars for something. That's like the worst thing because you're only left with the conclusion that like, I mean, I'm only left with the conclusion that people are either lying to themselves or they're stupid. And that's obviously ridiculous because I'm putting my own opinion on way too much of a pedestal and I might be <laughs> completely intellectually missing the point of that piece of art. But that's kind of the weird thing about art, right? Is like you say, um, and just for, for clarification, if it's a million dollars, it would be about £812,000. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You're good at these numbers, man. I blatantly got that wrong and someone's going to send an email just like, uh, excuse me. Send me that email too so I don't feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> 
but um but I, I do feel like it's it's a weird thing with art where you know i've i've had people on the podcast and they send me suggestions afterwards of photographers for me to check out or photographers for me to have on the podcast and i've looked at their work and not always most of the time i'm just, i'm blown away but there's been like the odd one or two where i'm just like really you know um i'm not seeing it and i don't i'm not trying to be mean but i'm just i'm really not seeing it and maybe it's me intellectually not seeing it but my my immediate thing and i think it's an ego preservation thing is my immediate thing is like they must not have good taste yeah i mean that could be it but then again like but it's so weird because it's just so subjective like there's stuff that i see that is i mean i'm like okay but and then other people are like no this is actually brilliant work do you, do you see how that like paint is splattered on the right side and what that symbolizes like do you see that like i'm like oh okay <laughs> and then i can actually you know i can actually trick myself into into i don't i don't know how much it's me not knowing enough or how i mean sometimes i feel that people that don't know anything about any art and they just and they see something and they like it that you're probably going to get the most honest opinion from that person right yeah so, I mean, I don't know if this translates to America, but I definitely say in England, the people that come across as the most true and the most, uh, what's the correct word I want to use here? People that come across the most justified in their own opinion, they feel like they're on the most solid ground with their own opinion, are the people that are the least interacting with the art world, the ones that aren't artists themselves and when they don't like something they don't like it they're not trying to find a hidden reason why it's great or or whatever they're just like no that doesn't do anything that's crap or whatever and they they're, they're so dismissive or they that they like something without being able to explain it that it feels more realistic i feel like you know like you said earlier when people are able to tack on a meaning to something it obviously loses a bunch of integrity if you really you know, if you realize that they're tacking something on, it loses its integrity to you. And I think that like mm -hmm. people on the outside of the art world, I, I was talking this morning to Ryan Brenizer, who's one of my absolute heroes in photography. And he was really talking about the, um, the, uh, the value of asking non-photographers and people that are actually the people that are going to buy your work or buy into your work or the people that are your target market. Why are you not asking them for their feedback? Why are you asking photographers? Because photographers are never going to be your market unless you are literally selling cameras or workshops or presets. And it's a great point. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, um, it's just that it's just the honesty. Sometimes like, you know, just a blank slate, you just have a blank slate and you're able to take it in. I, the, the, like who, who, who did you say you were, you were speaking with? What was his, what was his name? His name is Ryan Brenizer. He, um, he's a wedding photographer. He was, uh, I believe he was like a non-star photographer for Obama. He photographed the Clintons fresh out. When he came out of college, he was, he was brought in to photograph the Clintons and he was like starting like, yeah. He, he's um he's an incredibly intelligent and articulate person but he's also a fantastic photographer um and uh the reason that i'm such a big fan of his is that he has um a technique that he does uh involving photo stitching which is it literally changed the way that i do photography and you know like when you watch those infomercials where there's like a mop or something and people are like this will change the way your life goes and he actually he actually did that as opposed to me having to be a bad actor and say it but he, you know he had such a different perspective on it he came from journalism into photography and yeah, it's just, um, I just feel like there's value outside of the community that we're completely missing because we're so focused on impressing other photographers or other artists or other musicians or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You know, have you heard of, uh, I'm like saying people that I feel like everybody knows, but Joey L, 
is another yeah. one that kind of like just blew up like and his work is incredible he's also a brave dude i mean he he goes he'll go there and to get the shot right yeah i've been into his work as well who would you say that your 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 favorite photographer is <laughs> i like this this is, you're the first person that's interviewed me this is pretty great Oh, I'm sorry. bro. I'm usually. No, I like it. Do you know what? When I started the podcast, especially doing it remotely, it was like, how do you instigate a conversation with someone that's not in the room and that you're not, you know, you're not looking at? Because I like to keep these audio only. So all I had to do was just contact you, and it would have been easy. So for me, like favorite photographer and best photographer are like different subjects because my favorite isn't the best, and the person who I think is the best isn't my favorite. But there's really four. Like this, that's like a Mount Rushmore of photography for me. And I'm actually going to write these down because I want to check them out. Yeah, I, I, I actually want to write them down. Yeah, yeah tell me. They're going to be horrendously obvious, I, I feel. Maybe not. Um, so the first one, the person that really got me into uh, portrait photography and, and photographing people was Emily Soto. Okay. I think she's now New York based. Um, and she used to put out these like three minute music video type BTS um, things on YouTube. They're still up and they're like when you look at the, the standard of production value in photography on YouTube now, they look like the, no one's tried because everything's so over the top nowadays. Like she hasn't even got a gelled light in her, any of her, you know, her what's going on guys. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> the YouTube, the YouTube personality. Exactly. But it's, it's, she just showed you what she was doing and you got to see the images and her images just stood out to me so much. Like there's so much softness to them. And, and my personal mantra with photography is whatever I'm photographing, I just want it to look as attractive as possible to me. Mm -hmm. And I feel like then mm -hmm. if I'm being honest with that, then, you know, it should translate. And in some cases it doesn't, but it's my honest interpretation of it. And whether that be like, you know, a wedding cake or the bride or the groom or a model or a picture of my dog, I'm always just looking for like the, the way to best frame that, that subject. And I got that from Emily Soto. And then following on from her, uh, a photographer called Ross Harvey, um, who was actually on the podcast a short while back. He's easily the best wedding photographer in the world, in my opinion. And he's, he's an English guy. I did one of his workshops. He's uh, a lot less down to earth than me. He's definitely got a very optimistic personality and he's very um, spiritual. And, and I guess that would be the word. I don't know. But he's, he's just phenomenal at framing emotion. And he's a street photographer that photographs weddings and a wedding photographer that photographs street. And it carries across so amazingly. Um, his, so ability cool. to, his ability to just kind of frame quirky framings of incredibly simple scenarios and his use of like mirrors and reflection and silhouettes. He's just an absolute legend of photography to me. And then the last two, which I'll speed through real quick because I'm talking too much, is... No, I'm loving this. Agatha Serge is a Polish portrait and fashion photographer who's based in New York and in, I believe in Warsaw, but I'm not 100% sure on that. She's just... She's the queen of freckles, basically. She's actually a queen as opposed to everyone being a queen. <laughs> her portraits are so textured and so emotive and she's i don't know there's so much personality to the images that she takes and it seems like the bigger that she prints them and the bigger that she like the the, the more close up she gets to the subject the more personality she brings out which almost feels like it shouldn't work that way and then the last one was the the gentleman i had on this morning which is uh ryan brenizer who's um who basically changed photography for me in terms of being able to shoot beyond 
the the size of sensor that you have and be able to stitch things and really play with depth of field. And he has one of my favorite quotes of all time, which is everything outside of your frame doesn't exist. And that's like perfect for a wedding photographer. Like that's how you should work. Like, you know, that you might work in non-ideal circumstances, but what's outside of the frame just doesn't matter. I love it. I like, you know, it's as you're telling me these names, I'm, I'm looking at their work and it really is great. <laughs> it's so cool that you get it's it's so cool that you get to you know interview uh interview these people because it I've learned so much from it it's it's been an awesome yeah. um like a genuinely uh, in the english sense awesome as opposed to as Eddie Izzard would say the american sense with ah oh, this is an awesome hot dog yeah the, everything is awesome in america <laughs> exactly it's 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 is is genuinely awesome i've had some real sort of epiphany moments in recording these where people have just brought stuff up from an angle that i'd never think of or they have a perspective that i didn't think that was a way that a photographer could look at stuff you know ryan this morning was talking about how you have to love the person that you're photographing or you have to find a way to empathize with them or like them otherwise you're never going to do a good job and it's it's absolutely true i've been in situations where i've absolutely hated the person that i'm being expected to produce a great photo of and i feel like it's their responsibility for me to like them and it's not it's my responsibility to find a way to like them and you know that's just something i never would have thought of yeah that's enough about me. We're talking about me far too much. Let's go with the last question I want to ask you and then, and then we will uh, wrap up. What do you do when you're not shooting to improve yourself as a photographer? Do you watch movies? Are you, are you always looking at light when you're out and about? Um, what, what's your process to improve when you haven't got a camera in your hand? Um, this is going to sound so basic, but I watch so, I mean, I watch so many videos online. I mean, it's not the most uh, romantic answer, but I really I spend so much time watching videos uh, online from different uh, from different photographers. Uh, I'm. You said, by the way, you said when I don't have a camera in my hand, so like when I, I can't be shooting. Um, I, I mean, I've learned everything that I've that I've done online. Um, there is. Uh, I mean, you can also also. You know, old movies as well are, it's, uh, because a lot of times old movies, like if you compare an old movie to today, it's just like, I, those movies would never be made today can, just because it's just all dialogue and it's all, it's just so much more straightforward. Um, it's kind of a hard, it's kind of a boring answer, honestly. I mean... <laughs> It's not. At it's, all. It's, it's it's a millennial. I feel like it's a millennial answer. It's like oh, I watch YouTube, but it's true. I mean that that's really that's really what I do, man. I just I just I, just cons- I consume so much on YouTube of of people that I like, and and uh, that's about it. There's nothing wrong with a, a millennial answer when you know the, <sighs> that was what a way to end it. You, yeah, but the Generation Z answer would just be to get every other photographer cancelled, so you'd be the best one going. <laughs> yeah, that's hey, maybe I should you know who knows maybe maybe that is the best strategy. I don't know. I feel like there's enough in this podcast for you to get me cancelled. So then you've just got to work on the rest <laughs> of them. All right, I'll give I'll give you one more question because I, I you don't want to go out like that. So no, I do not. I mean that's the truth though. You're talking about being transparent. I mean that's literally yeah, that's it. All right, the, the, this one's a little bit different. I've never had someone answer this question properly. So there's a lot of pressure on you right now. Ooh, you, okay. you photograph portraits. Who would you like to photograph if you could photograph anybody in the world? Anybody in the world. One, there is no right answer to this, but anybody in the world. Oh my God. <laughs> 
kid doesn't have to be from this this time. Are you asking me alive and dead, basically? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody you want. I prefer if they were alive. Prefer if they were in, alive. It, okay. I, it could be anyone in history, but I would just prefer you didn't photograph them while they're dead because that would be weird. Okay. Uh, anybody in the world. God, this yeah, this really put me on the spot because there's just too many. I mean, you're asking me, there's 9 billion you can people have a few, You can planet. have a few. You can have a few. Go for it. I would want to photograph... Oh, I'm completely panicking right now. I'm completely having a complete brain <laughs> meltdown. Yeah, I, this is terrible, dude. You're gonna have to cut the podcast short. No. Um, Would you like me to just do mine to buy you some time? Yeah, give me yours. Buy me some time because there's. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so for me, in terms of like, I, I broke it down. So let's say five people. I broke it down into like why I would want to photograph them. So firstly, Lenny Kravitz, because I think he's the most attractive human being that's ever lived. And I'm a straight guy. I think <laughs> he, he's just the most photogenic human being that's ever existed. And his music is just insane. Rihanna, because I think that she would be the most amazing fashion model. She's got so much confidence. She's naturally a performer, so she wouldn't be stiff. Um, and she's got a fantastic face. I think she'd be an amazing fashion model. Third would be uh, Chris Cornell, who was singer for Audio Slave and Soundgarden and so on. Oh, yeah. I, I just, I, I was just such a huge fan of him while he was alive. And I'd love to have a portrait of him that I took. And then I would probably say, like, I would be really interested to photograph someone like, mm, like the, the I, I don't know if it's a prime minister or president of China. Like someone outside of my sphere, but who is politically, you know, involved, is politically active. Someone that's going to be relevant in historical terms in years to come. Because I just feel like um, one of the great things about photographing people's faces is that people put so much interpretation into expression. And I'd love to take an incredibly stoic portrait of someone like that and then just watch people make up shit about what was going on when we took the photo. And then the last one would be really tough if I was doing five. I'd probably just pick Leonardo DiCaprio because he was in my favorite movie. And that's probably the best answer I can give. That's incredible. You know who I think would be I bought, a challenge? I bought you some time. Come on, I bought you yeah, some time. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know who would be a challenge to photograph just because of his, of his bombastic nature would be Kanye West. I think that would be an interesting photo session because you're yeah. not going to tell him what to do. Like you're not going to, you know, you're not going to uh, control that session. I think that would be very, uh, that would be an interesting uh, person to photograph. I would, I agree. You know, any president really, I mean, because being a president is, is not an easy job. I think that I would like to shoot. Um, I think it'd be interesting to shoot uh, Kim Jong-un <laughs> just because he's uh well, it's going to be historically huge, right? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be historically huge. I would like, you know, I would like to shoot. Um, I would like to photograph uh, Trump because he is he has turned the world upside down. I mean, you have to pick people that have just made a com you know a complete wake, and I think that these you know these people have done that. I think that they would be just. I mean, it would be a, it'd be a photograph that, I don't know. What a way to end it, man.
Let's just go with Kanye West. <laughs> I feel that I feel like Kanye West would be just just a lot of fun to shoot. So you said Kanye West, Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump. So all three people that are going to lead the country one day. Yeah, basically. I just think that they've turned things. So I, I think that they have created such like such a chaotic uh, uh, environment that it would just, I just, I, I'm being kind of selfish because I want, it's more so could I handle the shoot? Not so much what would my image look like, but could I handle that type of uh, pressure and that type of situation? See, that's what's so fascinating about the question, right? Because I've had yeah. people that have refused to answer it because they don't want to upset the wrong people, which I find really funny. I've had other people that say they've never thought about it, which I, I absolutely call bullshit on. Because if you sit and you're a photographer and you're watching a movie and you see an interesting face, you, you think about photographing it. So I absolutely call bullshit on it. But you're taking it from a point of view of process versus product and you're, you're choosing process, which is really interesting. Let's just quickly ask you one more question because you brought up Kanye. You brought up Kanye West, so we've got to quickly run away from that. Otherwise, that's all anyone okay. will remember. In terms of your day-to-day -day photography, do you prefer the process or the end result? The process, because because so much of photography is me thinking I'm I'm not that good. So it's always it's it's really selfishly about me getting better at the end of the day at, at what I'm doing. And if it's an uncomfortable situation, I think that's the best scenario to get better. There you go. That's the way to end the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Right. So we need to tell everyone where they can go to check out your, your images and your YouTube and whatnot. So link away, tell, tell everyone where they need to find you now. Yeah, absolutely. So my YouTube is if you look up Kyle Joseph Buckley, um, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Kyle Joseph Buckley. Cause I had to change it of course. And then, uh, but really Instagram is where I post most of my work. It's uh, Kyle Joseph Buckley on Instagram and that's it. It's been an absolutely fascinating chat. It's been, it's gone wildly differently than I expected, but I've, I've had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I was, I was nervous for this and I was uh, excited at the same time. It's the first podcast about photography, man. I appreciate it.
Can't change.